Let's read the Beatitudes again. Read it out loud with me if you'd like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, here's where we're going today. Blessed are the merciful. Did he say blessed are the harsh? Blessed are the mean? Blessed are the unforgiving? Uh Uh-uh. Jesus said, if you want to be blessed, blessed are the who? Merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The last last two Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. I pray that you will give the people of God eyes to see, ears to hear, that you will open the eyes of our understanding, that we may perceive in our spirits what God is saying to the church and what we are to walk in through Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. I tell you, I love the Word of God, and I love these Beatitudes. We've been, this is the third Sunday we've been talking about them, and we're going through them two at a time because two is all I can handle, two at a time. I could have done one at a time, but we're doing two Beatitudes at a time. Now, I shared with you that the Beatitudes, to me, look like a spiritual progression. That is, the Beatitudes show spiritual progress. They begin with blessed are the poor in spirit. And that is those who realize their poverty in their spirit world, in their spirit life without God. All of us without God are spiritually in poverty. Jesus said, you say that you are rich, but I say to you that you are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, what is Jesus saying? Until you realize your spiritual poverty, you really can't get saved. And so he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit because that's the first step to being saved. If you realize you're in spiritual poverty, then you have just begun the process towards being born again. Then he said, blessed are those who mourn. I see that as somebody who is convicted over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn. It's not talking about somebody who walks around sad all the time. That's not blessed. He's talking about those who are mourning over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn, who are convicted over their sin, because they will be comforted by God's Holy Ghost when they repent. I want to inform you today, church, the Holy Ghost does not comfort people who are in sin. He troubles people who are in sin, but he comforts those who repent. So blessed are those who realize their spiritual poverty, and blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Now to me, that is the process towards being saved. So this person has been saved. Then he said, now let's talk about character attributes that should be growing, should be being produced in the heart of people who are saved. So he says, blessed are the meek. And the meek is those who are under the control of the Holy Ghost of God. Strength held back is the meek. How many of you this week held back your strength under the control of the Holy Ghost? You could have, but you didn't because you remembered what we said last week. 
You held back your temper. You held back judgmentalism. You held back gossip. Listen, meekness is I could, but I won't. And so we see this person growing in their spiritual life. Then Jesus said, spiritual health is measured by a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. See, when God gives you a new nature, when God touches your heart, you're going to experience a hungering and a thirsting for those things that please God. You know, I woke up this week and I wanted to read the Word of God. I wanted to get a hold of a spiritual book and read it. I wanted to take in the things that matter to God. I wanted to learn more about Jesus. I wanted to please Him. That's a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And so, see the Spirit spiritual progress, poverty, mourning, then saved. Now I'm learning to walk in meekness under the control of the Holy Ghost. And now I'm going to learn what it is to be merciful. Can you say with me, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. How many of you in here need mercy? How many of you needed mercy this week? How many of you needed mercy on the way to church? How many of you are going to need mercy when you leave? See, we need mercy all the time. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus said mercy is a reciprocal thing. If you're merciful, you're going to obtain mercy. So I'm going to take the flip side and say, if you're not a merciful person, I think there is a portion of mercy that is withheld from you. And Jesus said so, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But he said, blessed are the merciful. Now remember that not only are the Beatitudes depicting a progress in spiritual growth, but every one of the Beatitudes begins with blessed and ends with a promise. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And today, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. And blessed are the pure in heart. Now, he tells us what the blessing is after every one of the the Beatitudes he gives us. So, he says, here's the blessing that's going to come on those who are merciful. They will obtain. They will receive mercy. That's the promise. Now remember, blessed means happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of outward circumstances. I'm glad to tell you today that the kingdom of God, the joy of the kingdom of God, happiness that results from the kingdom of God is not dependent on what happens out here. The joy from the kingdom of God, the blessing from the kingdom of God is a result of being obedient to him. Now in the Bible, two phrases are used interchangeably and I want you to learn these today. They are heaven and the kingdom of God. Now can you say that with me? Heaven and the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are used interchangeably in the Bible but they're different. Heaven is a place every child of God will one day go to. Heaven is a geographical location. Heaven is out there somewhere right now. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a place. We're going to live in heaven someday. We're going to walk on the streets of gold in heaven someday. We're going to see Jesus Christ in heaven someday. We're going to see one another in heaven someday. We're going to live forever in a place called heaven forever and forever and forever. Heaven is a place. 
And the good thing about heaven is that's where Jesus is. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. You know, to me, if Jesus is there, that is heaven. If Jesus is there, that's all that I need. I'm so glad that the day's coming. I'm going to look full in the face of the one who redeemed me of my sins, forgave me of all the debt that I owed God, who washed my sins away, who filled me with the Holy Ghost, who delivered me from death, hell, and the grave, who stood me on my feet, gave me a vision, gave me purpose. I thank God for Jesus. But the kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is a condition. Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So while heaven is a place, the kingdom of God is a condition that we walk in in the here and now. You see, Jesus forgave me of my sins. That places me in righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So because of the blood of Jesus, God has justified me, which means just as if I never did it. That's what justification is, just as if I never did it. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus Christ. God is wearing red sunglasses. When he looks at you, he sees through the red blood of Jesus. He doesn't see your faults. He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the righteousness of Christ on you. So I'm in the righteousness of God, and because I have been declared righteous because of the blood of Jesus and made peace with God, I have the peace of God. And so having the peace of God, I have joy in my spirit, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I'm here today to tell you folks that Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is not something coming someday, but it's here and it's now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you. See, when you're saved, you begin to learn to walk in the condition called the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the more you obey God, the more you experience his joy. And that joy is not dependent on whether or not you got a car that runs or a big house or a bunch of money in the bank. No, you can be on the mission field living in a mud hut with nothing to your name as far as possessions and have the joy of the Lord that is unspeakable and full of glory because the kingdom of God is not dictated by out here. It's dictated by in here by obeying the Word of God. So I noticed that the Beatitudes deal with both the place called heaven, the place, and the condition known as the kingdom of God. And as we walk in obedience to God's Word, we begin to walk in that condition of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm just feeling righteous, a lot of peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There is not anything wrong with saying... Well, I've got faults and mistakes and I sin and I mess up some, but I'll tell you what, I am the righteousness of God in Him. I've got peace from Him and I've got the joy of the Holy Ghost. I'm walking in the kingdom of God. Amen. The kingdom of God is not an emotional high based on good things happening around us, but it's the natural result of obedience to God's Word. And the Beatitudes were taught to those who had left everything to follow Him 
that they might learn not only how to find eternal life, but how to experience the abundant life Jesus talked about giving us in the here and now. Can you say with me, he cares about my here and now? Amen. Jesus is not coming back for a bunch of people that just looked like they were baptized in pickled juice, who looked like they just lost their best friend, who looked like every day is a misery. No, folks. Listen, this is why I'm on this series. We need to see what Jesus said in the red. That's why we're calling it Red Letter Living, because Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, said these things. He said, you will be blessed. If you walk in mercy, you're going to receive mercy. I'm teaching you, showing you, giving you keys to unlock the door to righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost because your inheritance is to walk in the kingdom of God and to one day go to the place called heaven. The Ten Commandments were given by Moses and the Ten Commandments were just a bunch of thou shalt nots. But I'm so glad today that Jesus gave us eight thou shalts. I like thou shalts better than thou shalt nots. I love thou shalt. Jesus told us the things we can do because we are saved, not just the things we cannot do because we are saved. Can I tell you that when you got saved, God gave you the ability to do some things that lost people cannot do. Lost people cannot fellowship with God. Lost people are not going to heaven. Lost people don't understand this word. Lost people don't understand the things of God. Lost people can't enter into his presence by the power of the Holy Ghost. This is blood-bought privileges of the children of God. And so the Beatitudes are thou shalt. Now, how many of you want mercy today? I'm going to try it again. How many of you need mercy, 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 all caps, mercy? I need mercy. The fifth Beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, now if you want mercy what does it mean? If Jesus tells me that I need to be something or do something, practice something, then I want to be sure I understand what it is. So what is merciful? Mercy, mercy, is, mercy is love and empathy. Here's what mercy is. Love and empathy towards those that are miserable, desperate, and hurting. Those that need some type of help or assistance. That's mercy. Chuck Swindoll wrote, mercy is not passive pity. It isn't simply understanding someone's condition. Well, I understand. That's really terrible. I'll pray for you. It isn't mere sorrow. Boy, we just live in a terrible, devil-infested, sin-infected world, and it's just awful. Jesus, come. That, that's not mercy. I'm going to call it drive-by mercy. The Bible doesn't teach drive-by mercy. You see, you see a need, have mercy and drive on by. That's not Bible mercy. Paul wrote that our God is wealthy in mercy. He's rich in mercy. I am so glad that God is rich in mercy. If my Bible told me that he was really limited with mercy, I'd be a miserable individual. But my God is wealthy, infinitely rich in mercy. The merciful are those who are tender-hearted and feel in the deepest part of their beings the pain and the suffering of those who need mercy. But hear me carefully now. Mercy is not a passing emotion. It's not drive-by mercy. It's not a passing emotion toward the hurting, but it's compassion and sympathy followed by action. Listen to James. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good does it do if you say, I got faith, but there's no deeds? Let's try this. Let's just switch words. What good is it, my brother, if you claim to have mercy but there's no deeds? 
Can such mercy help the person you're having mercy towards? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. God bless you. Be praying for you. That's drive-by mercy. But doesn't do anything about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, mercy without action. If it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. The kind of mercy that Jesus is talking about is those who put feet to their mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they. How many of you are glad that when Jesus had mercy on you, he did something about it? See, God looked at our condition, and what was our condition? Let's just step in to see what condition our condition was in. Here's what it was you were dead in sin, you were lost and didn't know it. You were perishing and weren't even aware of it. You were lost at sea without a life raft. You were going down. It was finished for you and me. And God looked and had mercy, but his mercy manifested in action. So grace kicked in. And by grace you were saved through faith. And the Bible precedes that verse with, but God who is rich in mercy... It manifested then in grace, and grace sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. Mercy grew legs and feet and ran towards us. God put action to his mercy. And how many of you can say, even after I've been saved, I've messed up, I've made mistakes, I've sinned, I've done things wrong, and God who is rich in mercy had came to me and forgave me of my sin, soothed my smarting conscience, filled me with the Spirit once again, touched me by the Holy Ghost, renewed my vision and my purpose. God, who is rich in mercy. The merciful, Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes, are those special people who go out of their way to do something about it. Having compassion on those that are in any way hurting is only the first part. The feeling, the emotion is only the first part. Doing something about it is the crucial second part to true Bible mercy. The Bible teaches that mercy should be shown with readiness, happiness, gladness, affection, and tenderness. Nobody wants somebody having mercy on them with clenched teeth where they can tell they don't really want to help them. That's a great big hassle. Mercy is not just an action, it's an attitude that you do the action in. Now, I've learned something, folks. I've learned that you can't give what you do not have, but you will always give what you do have, be it bad or good. You will always give what you do have, but you can't give what you don't have. Now, having said that, watch what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4 about mercy. All praise, he says. Now, this is the Message Bible, which put it so well. I had to use this one. This is really good stuff. He says, This is Paul talking, all praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, the Father of all mercy. God of all healing counsel, he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that, too, all the time. So here's what he's saying. God, because he's a merciful God, rich in mercy, wealthy in mercy, when we go through a hard time, here's what God does. He eases up alongside us. 
Have you felt him this week? Were you aware this week that in your trouble, in your pressure, in your stress, in your trials, in your tribulations, in your persecutions, in your dilemmas, he eased up next to you? And why did he come up to you to comfort you and to help you? Because of his richness of mercy. He's merciful. Now he says, God is going to come to you and he's going to comfort you in all your tribulation. That's what mercy does. It comforts, it relieves suffering, it soothes, it settles. God shows mercy by forgiving our sins, relieving our conscience of guilt, and giving us hope of a better day. That's our God. But watch this now. God says, he's, I'm always going to comfort you. I'm going to be merciful to you because if I weren't merciful to you, I would not be being merciful to myself because I cannot deny myself. And you are a part of me because you are my bride. So I'm going to be there to give mercy to you, to comfort you in all of your tribulation. I'm the God of mercy. So if nobody sticks with you, if nobody comforts you, if nobody is there to soothe you, God, who is rich in mercy, has sent the Holy Ghost. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the Holy Ghost will not come to you. But because I go away, I'm going to send the comforter to you. Parakletos in the Greek, one who stands alongside and every time you go through pain every time you're being tested to the limit when you feel like you can't take another step the God of all comfort and the Father of mercy who is rich in mercy soothes, relieves your suffering settles you, forgives you and comforts you and says it's not always going to be like this a better day is coming I'm going to hold your hand we're going to walk through the valley of this shadow together but I'm telling you the clouds are there for a moment but joy comes in the morning it's not always going to be this way but in the meantime, I'm right here with you, walking alongside you, carrying you. But here's what really strikes me about the verse. No sooner does he carry us through it, but the Bible says he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times just like we were. You know what that tells me? God is a God of divine encounter. God's a God of divine encounter. Because here he is, he's comforting you. But what you don't realize is when he's ministering to you, strengthening you, forgiving you, having mercy on you, soothing you, he's got his eye on people that he's going to cause you to encounter down the road. And he says, well, there's Joe and there's Becky and there's Jim and John and Sue and Debbie and, and this person right here who I'm comforting, I'm going to comfort them not only for them, but they're going to carry a testimony. See, that's what comes out of your test, a testimony. You may have some money but it's gonna, and a test, but it's going to turn into a testimony. See, there's no testimony without some moaning and a test. Well, what are you doing? How are you feeling, brother? Oh, I'm moaning. Wow, well, I'm under a test. Well, praise God, flip it. That's going to be a testimony. And when you come out on the other side with a testimony, you're going to encounter, this is what the Bible says, God is going to sovereignly direct your path. The steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And see, he's going to then order your steps where one day, whoop, here's somebody right next to you. Hey, how's it going? Well, I'm moaning. Oh, what's going on? Oh, it's financial, it's marital, it's family, it's temptation, it's something. Well, you know what? I'm just now coming out on the other side. 
And you can't even smell the smell of smoke on me. And all that happened to me when I was in that fire is the ropes that bound me got burned off. So, brother, I've got a testimony to minister to you in your moaning test. And your moaning test is going to become a testimony because we are walking with a God who heals us. Say with me, there's a message in my mess. I love the Word of God. It's so true. When God shows mercy to you, it's never just with you in mind. He's already got others in the crosshairs of His compassion that He's going to cross your path with so you can be there for that person just as God was there for you. See, I got saved in juvenile home when I was 16 years old. And I'd never heard the gospel. I was in there for a, a drug charge. And I was in there with about 50 other, 60 other guys in Harry Hines Juvenile Detention Center. And there I was in there on a drug charge, still a minor. And, and, and one day he came to my cell. The guard came to my cell and said, hey, you want to come hear somebody talk to you about Christianity? I didn't even know what Christianity was. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I knew absolutely nothing about the Bible. I had not been in church. This was foreign to me. But I would have gone to hear anybody, Larry Curly and Mo, it doesn't matter. Let me out of this cell. And I remember they brought us down there, 50 or 60 of us, and this Baptist preacher who looked like Clark Kent stood up with glasses on, his hair was all slicked back. Here I was with hair down to here in big time trouble, had never prayed, didn't know that there even was a God. And he stood up and he just started preaching John 3.16. I didn't know what the dealing of the Holy Ghost was. I didn't know what it was that grabbed a hold of my heart and convicted me of sin and made me believe that he was telling me the truth. I don't know what it was. I didn't know the ministry of the Holy Spirit that made me stand up and go behind him and nobody else stood up to the invitation but me and I got right behind him and said, sir, I would like to and that's about all that I got out and I began to weep and to cry for the first time in a long time. I didn't know that was the touch of the Holy Ghost of God. I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit but God laid his hand on me. I went back there. He took my hands and we prayed a prayer and I lifted up my eyes in that dingy jail cell and it looked like it was brand new paint. Everything was sparkling. Everything looked clean because God had reached into my soul, touched me, saved my soul, translated me from darkness to light, from death to life. That's what God did. Now watch this. Come on, everybody. Amen. Amen. And I had no idea that a year and a half later, I'd walk into a Bible study and I would meet this couple who just happened to say to me, hey, Jeff, we're going down to the Harry Hines Juvenile Home. Why don't you come with us? Didn't you get saved there? And I tried to deny it. I didn't want to admit it because I sure didn't want to go sit and and, then finally stand up in front of 50 to 60 boys and share the gospel. I said, they'll shoot me down in flames. They'll make fun of me. I'll make a fool of myself. I'm not going to do it. And I ran and they chased me and I ran further and they chased me further. I met them in deep south Dallas. I ran all the way to Plano. They found me in Plano. Hey, we're going to the juvenile home. Why don't you just come and hand them the cookies? You don't have to say anything. So I went down there, went into the juvenile home. They had a guitar player. They had cookies and punch. And then before I know it, this guy lied to me because he introduced me. He said, this is Jeff Wickwire. He was here and he got saved here. Jeff, come on, stand up. I stood up. (laughs) 
And I, my mouth started talking, and it was like I was watching a mouth move that wasn't mine. And I blurted something out like, well, yeah, I was here, and, you know, I, I got saved, and, 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 and you know, Jesus you know, it, it loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, thank you so much. And I stepped back and I said, oh, no, that was terrible. They'll never have me back. And, and, and when I lifted up my head and opened my eyes, I was surrounded by boys with eyes as big as saucers, hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. And you know what? You know what? I realized then that when Jesus saw me sitting in juvenile home, see, he had his plan for me before the foundations of the earth, of the earth were even laid. He had his plan for me before he ever said, let there be light, or before birds ever filled the sky, or the fishes ever swam the sea. I'm sorry, folks. This stirs me up a little bit. We got to understand. He had a plan for me before the earth was even formed. And so when he saw me, he didn't say, well, turn to the, he didn't turn to God the Son and say, can you believe Wickwire's in juvenile home? He saw me in juvenile home before the foundations of the world were even laid. You say, Pastor Jeff, come on now. That's heavy stuff. Listen, it is mind-bending, jaw-dropping. I mean, it is way heavy, but it's the truth because God is God. And the Bible says God knows the end before the beginning begins. Before he begins the beginning, he ends the end. And so when I got saved, he didn't turn to Jesus and say, can you believe it? Gabriel, let's have a party. Can you believe Wickwire repented? No, 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 no. He said, I knew you were coming all the time. Now, I not only saved you, but when I touched you in jail, I had my eyes on thousands of young people that were going to be in this juvenile home because after that night, I went back twice a week for four to five years. We saw thousands of young people saved. So when he had mercy on me in the jail, it wasn't just for me. It was so that I could in turn go and have mercy. Come on, everybody. This is the way that it works. It was so that I could go have mercy in the same way he had mercy on me. So every time I walked in there, I understood. I knew what it was like to have that door shut and hear the key lock and know that your whole life is gone in front of you. I know the feeling. And so I could go in there and say, guys, there is a hope. There is an answer. There is a solution. His name is Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. And he'll save your soul if you'll let him. He'll change your life. He'll give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. He'll help you. It's never over till God has had his say. Amen. So he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times. So don't be surprised if once you come out on the other side of your trouble, you find yourself alongside someone else. It is not just a, hap a happenstance. God did it. God did it. To be merciful as a Christian does not mean to perform isolated occasional acts of charity. A Christian is to be habitually merciful, showing mercy with thanksgiving and cheer. But I also believe, and you know what I'm not going to get to today? I know I'm not going to get to <laughs> the pure in heart. I've done preached mercy out. Mercy me. I'll do it next week if I don't have time today. But this thing on mercy, I'll tell you, I'm a believer and I'm a mercy addict. I'm a mercy junkie. I've been accused of being too merciful. I've, been, I've had people tell me, you're too merciful. 
be tougher. But I don't want to because I want my field of harvest being filled with the seeds of mercy. Because I'm going to need mercy. You're going to need mercy. Don't be a hard-nosed Scrooge. Be merciful. This beatitude is also concerned with mercy through the act of daily forgiveness. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Forgiving offenses that have been inflicted upon you. Jesus requires that we forgive one another just as he is constantly forgiving us. Jesus said, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'm convinced that blessed are the merciful is including in it those who forgive others and let them off the hook in the sense that they forgive them. It doesn't mean you're putting your stamp of approval on anything they've done. And it doesn't mean that you've got to enter into back, back into relationship with somebody who you have forgiven. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. It takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. So that you can forgive somebody, but that doesn't mean you've got to let them work you, manipulate you, make you feel guilty if you don't enter in, back into relationship, if that relationship has been destructive. So I can forgive people that I have no intention of ever fellowshipping with again. Unless they were to change and not be destructive to me. I can still forgive though. Now I believe that Jesus was including the whole thing. Let me tell you something, folks. Somebody really needs for you to forgive them. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'll never forgive you. I will never forgive you. Well, see, those are powerful words because you set into motion, the minute you say those words, two things. You have just shut yourself off from blessing from God because he, he won't forgive you. You're, I didn't say you lost your salvation. I said you broke fellowship with God. There's a difference. You broke fellowship with God. You didn't lose your salvation. You broke fellowship with God when you didn't forgive. So you broke fellowship with God. Well, now you're headed to dry up zone you're going to dry up. You're not going to get anything out of anything spiritual because you're, you're dried up. You're, you're broke fellowship. But this way, you have also imprisoned them and yourself. you got to forgive to let yourself go free. And, and I've, I've heard people say, I just wish they would forgive me. Family members, I wish they would forgive me. Spouses, I just wish they would forgive me. See, see, when you don't forgive, it's like you're drinking strychnine thinking it's going to kill them. So you've got to forgive to set yourself free, to keep your walk with God in a flow. And I believe when you forgive, you open the door for God to deal with them. But when you say, I'll never forgive, you have just pronounced a totally losing proposition. You lose this way and you lose this way. I don't want to be a loser. So, blessed are the merciful who will forgive because they're going to receive mercy. Well, Pastor Jeff, they don't deserve it. Well, of course they don't deserve it. If they deserved it, you wouldn't have anything to be bitter about. I mean, it's a given that they don't deserve it. Well, if I forgive them, then they're off the hook. No, when you forgive them, they're on the hook. Because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Forgive and get out of the way and I'll repay. But if you don't forgive and get out of the way, I can't repay. 
So, so as long as you sit there, God number two, say, I'm never going to forgive. You're playing God. You have just said, I am God. I will never forgive them. Well, God, who wants to deal with the situation, is now blocked. So he says, forgive, for vengeance is mine. I claim the corner on the vengeance market. So you, you forgive and get out of the way, and I'll deal with it. So really, you think you're letting them off the hook. I forgive you. And they may think, all right, I'm off the hook. No, they just got on the big hook. Y'all are so quiet today. (laughs) Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. How many of you need mercy today? How many of you need mercy? Well, let's stand together, and I'm going to have to deal with pure in heart next week. I made it to it in the first service. Y'all preached me out here in the second one. But, see... If we're children of God, we will reflect Him. He's not unmerciful. He's not unforgiving. He's not non-redemptive. You know why I think we get so attached to, to dogs? Because they always forgive. They always do. Last night, I took my little, two of my little dogs for a walk. You should see me. You wouldn't believe it's me. You would say, that's Pastor Jeff, because here's what I do. I have this little pouch that I put right here, and my little chihuahua gets right here. <laughs> Ears sticking out, and he's looking around, and I'm his horse, you know. And then I took the, the terrier on a leash. Oh, they love it. All they got to do is hear the chain jingle. And they're all over me. Walk, walk. It's walk time. Now, I know this was terrible. But when I was coming back home, I spotted this cat in the driveway next door. Well, Ollie, my little terrier, spotted him right when I did. I can tell when he spots something because his ears went straight up. He stops and one leg goes like this. Like he's, that's the way he points. So one leg is up. So I thought, Well, I'll let him check him out. So I I walked up towards the cat, and the cat ran in the bushes. So Ollie, he gets about five feet from the bushes, and he doesn't know what this was. He saw a huge white cat. He doesn't know what it was or what it is uh, able to do to him. He's just being a dog, and he's looking. Well, I see the cat in there crouched, not moving. So there was just one of these moments where everything was just tense and quiet. So I went, <laughs> if you ever saw a dog come out of his fur and, and he ran from this cat, I said, you coward, you're the dog. He ran yelping and it was, I didn't mean to scare him that bad, but it really scared him. But you know what he did? First thing he did is he walked up and starts licking my hand, made me feel like a dog. He immediately forgave me, though he was terrified. Because this thing, this thing, this cat jumped three feet, made the bushes rustle. It was like a ghost was coming out of there. But the reason that we love them is because they forgive every time. You can be mean to them and they just come back and lick you and they forgive you. Why am I sharing that? Well, it just occurred to me that they're great forgivers. 
I mean, you don't see a dog the next day refusing to come to you saying, no, I don't forgive you. They do that, they don't eat anymore. But we need to be great forgivers, don't we? And, and merciful. Who do you need to be merciful to? Who in your life do you need to be merciful to? How bad do you need mercy in the field of your life? How bad do you need mercy? Well, let's just pray together. Father, I just thank you that you're merciful. I thank you, Lord, that you are ever forgiving, patient, kind. Lord, you don't blink at sin, but once we repent, you send mercy to relieve us of the guilt of that sin. And you send mercy to heal us of the consequences. You're merciful. Thank you, Lord, for the day that you were merciful to us, that you found us and saved us. Lord, we need mercy. And Lord, I'm asking you, whoever it is in our life that we need to be merciful toward, show us. It might even be us ourselves. We need to have mercy on ourselves beating ourselves up for things long gone and covered by the blood. We need to be merciful to ourselves, perhaps. Help us to be merciful, Lord. In Jesus' name, I want you to pray just a moment. As Steve leads us, just pray. Say, Lord, who can I show mercy to? Just like David said that day, is there anybody left of the household of Saul that I can show mercy to? And they said, yes, Saul's son, Mephibosheth. You can show mercy to him. And he did. Is there anybody in your house that you can show mercy to? Somebody that needs a kind word? Somebody that needs to know you forgive them?